Hello and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Words of Welcome, the teaching ministry of Welcome Baptist Church, Heathfield. Hello. We're looking at the second part of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word, may it be a lamp to our feet. May it show us truth. May it light our way. May we gaze upon Jesus and in gazing upon him, may we be saved. Lord, help us to fix our eyes and our hearts and our lives on him, to follow him and worship him. In Jesus' name, amen. David Watson tells a wonderful story of a visiting preacher going to a church. This is how it goes. A vicar once collected a visiting preacher from the station and took him to the church. As he drove along, the vicar said to the visiting preacher, by the way, I'd rather you didn't preach on uh, judgment. We don't like that sort of thing in our church. By the way, what are you gonna preach about? The man replied, my text is John 3, 16. Excellent, excellent, the vicar said. Once in the pulpit, the preacher announced his text and started to read it. Just before the word perish, he paused and said, excuse me to the congregation and turned to the vicar and said, may I go on? The vicar blushed and gave a little nod, so the speaker completed the verse. David Watson goes on and says, The point is, we cannot really understand the love of God unless we see it in the context of judgment. What does it mean when we say God is love? Does it mean that he sits up in heaven smiling down and saying, I love you, I love you? No wonder people ignore God today if they think that is what love means. No wonder the faith of some Christians is so flabby. They have never really understood the love of God because they've never seen what God has saved them from, or what Christ actually endured for them on the cross. Christ, who more than anyone else showed us the love of God, taught us more than anyone else about his judgment. It's a judgment that comes on all who reject his love. And love always risks being rejected. Ask anyone who's ever loved. Don't know what you make of that, whether you agree or disagree. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Everything we know about hell, we know from Jesus's lips. He is the only one who actually spoke of hell, Gehenna, which was a rubbish tip outside Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnon. 
This place where in ancient days, children had been sacrificed to Molech. In Jesus' day was a, a huge smoldering rubbish tip. And Jesus would point to that as a parable of hell. I find it very interesting that in around 70 AD, when the Romans crushed the rebellion in Jerusalem, that it was there in the Valley of Gehenna, many of those rebels, many of the Sanhedrin themselves were thrown as dead people, boulders and things from the temple thrown into the Valley of Gehenna. An incredibly powerful parable of the judgment to come. Jesus who is love, Jesus who is all embracing, is the one who has taught us about judgment. So let's look at Nicodemus, let's look at his words and, and pay attention to what Jesus says. John 3, verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? We remember that last time that we looked at this, that Jesus was saying that, that you must be born again, that somebody must be born again. And Nicodemus said, well, this is quite ridiculous. How can someone enter in to their mother's womb a second time? And Jesus spoke to him about being born of the spirit, not of the flesh. How can these things be? Verse 9, verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but in order that the world may be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Wow. What an incredible passage. Now, 
just a technical note of this passage. We do not know exactly when Jesus finishes speaking and when John takes over the commentary of the narrative. It could be that Jesus finishes speaking to Nicodemus uh, at verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have life. And then for John 3.16 to the end of that little passage is John's commentary on it. We can't be 100% certain. It could be that it's Jesus's words right till the end. But that doesn't matter. Whether these are Jesus's direct words, and if you look in any Bible with red words in them, you'll see them all in red, or if this is John's commentary from verse 16 onwards, they carry the same weight, the same inspiration, the same truth, the same conviction. It's the word of God. Incredible. So let's think about this together. First, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus is a bit exasperated. He says, look, you are a teacher. You're eloquent. You are trained. You are highly educated. You are a part of the Sanhedrin, these 70 leaders of Jerusalem. And you're failing to grasp spiritual truth. That's your job. Reminds me of that occasion when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. And he says, diligently you search scripture because you believe that will give you eternal life. Yet you miss the very one that they are written about. Scripture is written that we might have relationship with this one with this one, Jesus Christ, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, it is pointing us to relationship, a loving, personal, real, integrated, companionship relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is exasperated. You're a teacher. You don't see these things. Jesus will stand in front of the high priest and they won't see these things. He says, I speak about earthly things and you don't even get it. What's going to happen if I speak of spiritual things to you? Verse 13 is a real humdinger. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus tells him that he has authority to speak of these things because he's seen them firsthand. He uses this phrase, son of man. It's actually Jesus's favorite self-designation in the Bible. The word son of man comes from the book of Daniel. And there it speaks of this heavenly being who attends to the throne of the ancient of days. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I am that one, that one you looked forward to, that one who ascended and descended, that one, that is me. Your hope of the heavenly being is me. And of course, he's so much more 
too. He is the Son of God, true God of true God, light of light, eternal. And Jesus says, these are my credentials. This is the authority that I have to, to teach you this stuff. Verse 14, again, another illustration from the Old Testament. You see what Jesus is doing here. He, he's speaking of things that Nicodemus would know and potentially understand. These thoughts and these stories from the Old Testament that would be so much a part of Nicodemus's life and teaching. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's incredible. This is definitely Jesus speaking. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you remember that story? We know it from Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. We're told there that the, the soul of the people was really discouraged. And as the story goes on, the people begin to speak against, grumble against, moan about God and Moses. They're a rebellious group of people who have been rescued and saved, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, if you like. And here they are, grumbling and moaning. They've seen the miraculous. They've had the cloud and the fiery pillar, and they still moan against God. And so God sends fiery snakes. Fiery because their bite is so venomous that it, that it stings and is awful. And the people die. And the people cry out and Moses cries out and God says, this is what you are to do, Moses. You are to, to put a bronze snake on a stick, hold it up, and whoever looks at the bronze snake on the stick, they won't die of their, their snake bites. They'll be saved. It's an incredible story. The people rebellious, the people rejecting God, who has done so much for them. The curse of God coming upon them in the form of these fiery, venomous snakes. And the rescue that God gives which is so simple. Look at the snake. People say, why has God made it so hard to be, to be a Christian? I don't agree. People say, why is it so hard to be saved? I, I don't agree. Here we see in, in Numbers 21, how easy it was to be rescued from the fiery snakes. All one had to do was to look to the snake. But get this, people still died because people still refused to look to the snake. How rebellious do you have to be to be writhing around in agony and say, I don't care, I'm not looking at that snake to be saved. I mean, how rebellious do you have to be? Jesus says, just as the snake 
was held up, just as Moses held up the state, the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus widens out this incredible parable and talks about the, the, the darkness, the sin, the poison that holds all humanity. Now we noticed this last time when we looked at this idea of being born again. We, we noticed that the poison of sin has darkened us so much that unless we are reborn, unless something significant happens within us, we cannot see, we cannot look, we cannot even know our need. So we have to be born again. This regeneration, which is God's work and God's work alone. And this regeneration comes and we can look to Jesus and be saved. It's incredible. It's not hard. Look to him and be saved. Twice in, in the New Testament, Acts and Romans, we're told whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not hard. God comes to rescue. He does all the heavy lifting. Look to me and be saved. It's as simple as that. The great story of, of, of Spurgeon, Spurgeon's conversion, was that there was a snowstorm and he went to church and the visiting preacher couldn't get to church and so some elderly deacon stood up to preach and as I understand it, he wasn't much of a preacher and basically only said these kind of words, look unto Jesus and be saved, look unto Jesus and be saved, look unto Jesus and be saved. But such was the power and the truth of those words that Spurgeon himself on that day looked unto Jesus and was saved. This is not hard. This is not hard. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, well firstly, most importantly, he's saying that we are all poisoned by sin. Our rebellion. Our turning away from God has brought a curse upon us. But God has not left us without hope. God has not left us without rescue. He has given his son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, would not perish but have eternal life. Wow. Trusting, believing is something every one of us can do. If God had made it a matter of strength, you must climb Mount Everest to be saved. Very few of us could be saved. If God made it a matter of intellect, you must understand the theory of relativity to be saved. Very few of us would be saved. But God makes it a matter of looking, of trusting. And everyone does that. You may be sitting down right now. You are trusting that chair to hold 
your weight. You may be sitting in a building as you listen to this or watch this. You are trusting that the roof won't fall on your head. Everyone can believe. Everyone can trust. Everyone can look to the Son of Man and be saved. Everyone. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's uh, an incredible phrase. He must be lifted up. In one sense, the, the idea is that he must be exalted. That would be a, a normal understanding of that phrase, lifted up. He must be exalted. And so in one sense, we can understand this, that Jesus is saying, I must be exalted. But it's much more than that. When Jesus says that he must be lifted up, he's talking about something else too. He uses this phrase, the Son of Man lifted up, three times in the Gospel of John. First time is here. The second time is in John chapter 8. And he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know I am he, which is an incredible statement in itself. It's from Isaiah 42 and talks about God himself. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know I am he, I am God, when you've lifted him up. Again, we, we may think, well, that, that could be exalting him. When we've lifted him up, then we'll know. As we worship him, we'll know. But the third time leaves us in no doubt with what Jesus really means when he says the Son of Man must be lifted up. It's in John 12, 32. It's on the day of the triumphant entry and Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Verse 33 is commentary by John and he says this, he said this, to show what kind of death he would die. He would be lifted up on a cross. As the serpent was lifted up on a pole, Jesus would be lifted up on a pole with a crossbeam. Jesus knew at the very beginning of his ministry talking to Nicodemus here that the reason he had come was to remove the poison and the sting of death. That was his purpose. And whoever would look at him would be saved. Verse 16, perhaps the most famous verse in scripture. But now today we see it in its context of the fiery snakes and the context of the curse on humanity. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here we see God's love and we see it in the context of judgment. The choice is simple. 
for every one of us. Will you look upon him? Will you turn your eyes to him? Will you call on the name of the Lord? Look unto Jesus and be saved. Amen. Thank you for listening to Words of Welcome. For new episodes and more, please visit welcomebaptistchurch.uk.